Hello and welcome to Season 4. It's a podcast that seeks to encourage and inspire you on your journey. Well, today's one is an absolute cracker. Adam is somebody who um, I've known from a distance and part of the Cinnamon family. He is incredibly insightful and we get to discuss um, his life, his influences, and really what's most incredible is he gives us an insight into what kind of world we are about to go into and how do we then traverse into it. It's so fantastically simple, it is so insightful and incredibly liberating. And honestly, I please, please share this with your friends and family um, who um, are on the same journey. But anyway, before we get into it, let's do our devotion and then jump straight into this absolutely fantastic interview with a really wonderful person. Secret Jesus, not Santa. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 to 4, it reads... So when you give to the poor, don't announce it and make a show of it just to be seen by people, like the hypocrites in the streets and in the marketplace. They've already received their reward. But when you demonstrate generosity, do it with pure motives and without drawing attention to yourself. Give secretly and your father who sees all you do will reward you openly. So I have a few thoughts. Here's a few interesting habits we do. Every year, groups of us do secret Santa, and usually they're naft gifts. A bit of fun. We all enjoy the experience of giving. During clearouts, we give away our unwanted items to charity shops again. These shops have no idea who we are. Isn't that interesting? Then in connection to the verses. Showing off can sometimes stem from a low self-esteem for need to be loved and acknowledged. So these verses are fascinating. It's inviting us to give things that people value, not just as a gift, but as we do it in secret. We invite the Father to bless the receiver of this gift. Suddenly, it becomes a spiritual gift that goes further. Now that's something far more superior than a secret Santa. So as we consider giving, always pray his abundant blessings on the receiver. Amen. Well, we are now with uh, my next guest, and it's with another colleague of mine who um, is someone I know, but not very well and someone who um, generously passed on his remit to me. <laughs> so um, this is, we're with Adam Dyer, and um, uh, we'll, we'll get to know a wee bit more about Adam. Uh, is is from the Southwest, and um, he's someone who I've, I've known from a distance, but not up, up close. And I have lots of friends who know and admire Adam for um, a whole plethora of things and the things that I've heard about you uh, and what you've done I it was one of those things you go yeah well clearly we need to hear his story 
<laughs> you're a, you, you know, you set up things, you write things, you talk about stuff. Um, but you're a bloke into things as well, which we'll we'll discover. So anyway, how are you? How's how's your week been? How's life been with you? Uh yeah. in the southwest yeah, of England. Yeah, I mean we're doing we're doing okay. I think I think we're surviving, aren't we? Like it's not it, it's entirely disingenuous to go, yeah, we're doing great. Just no one's doing great. Yeah. Um, maybe comparatively, I'm doing fairly all right but we're all tired we're all yeah you know got our that underlying stress level is raised or anxiety level we're all trying to figure out what this is and what we're emerging into i've said for a long time that this was always going to be the toughest part of this pandemic you know going into lockdown was always was was really difficult but it was binary like, yeah you had to go online you had to shut everything down. You had to, like, we had to do it. Like, it wasn't, it took some thought, it took some ingenuity, it took some planning. We had to adapt, all that sort of stuff. But it was fairly binary. Mm. How we emerge is way tougher. Are we Are we pushing backwards to back to, to normal, whatever that was, that idealised idea of normal now? Or are we pushing forward into the new? Are we adapting to the landscape? How are we... Um, communicating, how we helping people's mental health and emotional health, spiritual health, like how we emerge was always going to be way tougher than than going in in the first place. So, so, so that I mean, which which really is is, is a lovely opener for me to ask the question: What do you do in your day to day stuff? Um, right, and then how do you yeah. connect to cinnamon? Okay, and yeah. then we can unpack about what does this this new world look like. Um, Great. Yeah. So, what do you do? Tell us the story. I lead, I lead Yoga Community Church, which is, you know, is what it says. It's yeah. in the town of Yeovil in Somerset, um, which is a town of about fifty thousand. Um, we're a church of I've no idea how many now, um, but we were about <laughs> before lockdown. Um, we've seemed to have accumulated um, some people over lockdown, and we've also accumulated an online following. Wow. not insignificant um, around the world. So um, we are now an online church as well as an in-person church. That's not going to shift. Um, mm. But yeah, I lead Yoga Community Church. Um, we're also, what it says on the tin, we're very involved in the community. So despite being a church of about whatever well, whatever we are now, um, we're, Sunday is kind of our quietest day. So throughout the week, we're... Um, we are full and busy and vibrant and engaged all the time. We have contracts in the council to deliver various projects that we do. We, um, we are a community hub yeah. um, in, our, in the middle of our community where all sorts of people are in and out. And, um, and through lockdown, we became the vaccination centre. So oh, wow. 75, 80% of our town has been through our doors in the last year. Um, Goodness. Um, um, we're yeah, we've been fairly um, been busier than ever during lockdown. So yeah, so I lead I lead that, and then as well as doing that, um, I've been involved in Cinema Network probably from about the beginning. Yeah. I was, yeah. I think I along with Mark Royal, I was the first advisor, and then um, we we were you know helping churches and, and doing that sort of stuff. It's kind of evolved. Um, so I've been involved in various formats throughout. Um, I'm 
um, on the board now. So I've stepped back from my day-to-day, yep. um, you know, engagement, and um, but I'm a board member now. Yeah, and yeah. I just didn't have time to um, yeah. give you know, what needed in, in the role. And, um, but obviously still very keen to be involved. I believe in what it does. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, when, when they asked me, Am, am I happy to take the Southwest? And I said, well, I live in the Southeast. Uh, in the old world, in the old Republic, I would have said, well, as long as you can cover my travel, I don't care. But <laughs> in, in this new world, um, everything's on Zoom. And for yeah. that's, that's, it's both a blessing and a curse because yeah. the, the, the blessing is that I don't have to do the travel. I can have back-to-back meetings the curse is that I then have back-to-back meetings. <laughs> yeah. Where's your uh, processing going? Where's your doubt? Yeah, I know. It's difficult. Yeah. And actually, the way we have, how we have rapport with one another, uh, I've, you know, I've, I've, I don't know about you, but that we have better rapport with, with people when we meet them face-to-face rather than on Zoom. And so there's this, there's a learning in the same way that we've had to have a learning with social media. You know, how do we interact there is the um, uh, the perceptive visual identity, the perceptive messaging versus. Yeah. So look, today I'm wearing my Star Wars T-shirt, um, and I've got a meeting later on. I'm thinking, Ooh, am I going to wear my Star Wars? Or should I put a shirt on because it might be quite yeah. important? Yeah. <laughs> and I and I, my meeting at right now is in my bedroom. Yours is you've got a, a picture of the map uh, of the world behind yeah, you. Yeah, we're in our conservatory with a big. Um, big map um like the entire wall is covered in map of the world which i love it i mean it's uh, yeah I mean, and it's it's beautiful but because we're having so many zoom meetings my wife decided that our walls were too boring and we needed to have a bit more interesting backgrounds <laughs> and she's like i've always wanted a big a huge map because you know she loves looking at where things are around the world and yeah. and then so yeah it was one of our lockdown projects that's, that's amazing did. So, so talk to me about, because um, one of your projects that Cinnamon uh, recommends um, is for family. And yeah. I, I don't know about you, but and, I, and you, you alluded to this, is what kind of reality do we want to uh, have? It's a bit like when, when we, when the, the new, the pilgrims and all the, the, the forefathers of uh, went to America, they decided that they would have a certain type of lifestyle you've alluded to the fact that you as a church, you don't actually know how many people are connected to your community. Well, I mean, we had a better idea before, but also, it, I mean, what are you measuring? The people who show up on a Sunday yeah. or the people who are in your small group. So, I mean, we have on any given Sunday, we would have had about 300, say. Um, but then our first, and the reason why we kind of, we don't really know, because our first Sunday, like back, no masks, no registering, whatever, it was this Sunday, and we had a couple of hundred people, but yeah. 50% of them were people who joined through lockdown. Wow. Um, so, it, yeah, I kind of was like, <laughs> I just went, look, welcome, if you're new, and, you, and you're worried, and you're a bit stressed, you're a bit anxious, because you don't feel like you know anyone, don't worry, neither do we. Like, it's like nobody knows anybody. Like, we're all we're all trying to figure out, and we just can't wait to get to know you. And, like, because it, it's this weird new dynamic. So as the as everybody comes back, what's that going to look like? How many new people have joined who are in the building? But also we've got people, I mean, we've got people following online now from pretty much every continent. So what does that look like? And how do yeah. we decide? 
around and people doing our alpha courses from around the world. And it's like, how do we, how do we do that? And um, yeah. yeah, how, I mean, the, um, so yeah, we don't really, on that level, we don't really know. We have, I think, 28 small groups. We have yeah. um, a lot of people who are involved in small groups, but we're going to have to create a lot more because we've got a lot more people now. And um, so how do we invest in that and how do we do that well? But then there's also the, you know, is your, or is your measure how many people use the building and and through the week or how many people come to your parent and toddlers, which is, you know, I guess a couple of hundred, maybe more. Um, how many... How many are in and out your building, which is probably a couple of thousand a week. So, yeah. Um, or how many, or how many people in your community view that as their safe place, a place where they belong, a place where they're known, yes, a place where they can engage, contribute, and also receive help, which might be, which might be a lot of the community. Yes. You know, it might be a, a, a majority of our community. I, you know, there is. I don't really remember the last time I encountered anyone in our community who doesn't know who we are mm. and hasn't doesn't have either come along in some context or know someone who does. So it's it, it kind of depends on your measure. But because we do the, you know, you mentioned for family, and that's that's trebled. I mean, just our own project that we Yeovil for family has trebled in size wow. through lockdown. So we were supporting 60 families at a time. We kind of do a year support for a family. Yeah. Um, they get referred by whoever, social services, education, health, or any other sort of housing, any other sort of agency. Um, and, and we put intentional support in place. And then um, and we coordinate response between agencies around the family and put plans in place and strategies and, and help them build resilience and overcome the challenges, all that sort of stuff. And it's been amazing. But we now are supporting um, nearly 200 families, just under 200 families. Wow. And, um, and despite that, we have a four-month waiting list and that is entirely full. And despite that, we're turning away two or three referrals a day, mm. which means that the demand has gone up astronomically and our council was really proactive right at the beginning yeah. um, before we even went into lockdown our council was really proactive and just said look you're going to need to grow so can we <laughs> can we fund you for three years and can you can you grow a lot um, but they also said can you can you try something can you try getting in earlier can we go upstream can we um early can intervention we earlier intervention yeah. And um, so we we started connecting with secondary schools and with health centres and GPs and going, well, you guys know who these families are before they hit social services or whatever. Yeah. You 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 know the signs and the like. What if you were started referring these to us way earlier, mm. um, or, or at least somewhat earlier? Mm. Um, so we we started doing that model, and the data that is coming out now shows that yeah absolutely which is what you would expect the sooner you get in the you, you get better you get better outcomes quicker um yeah yeah which is uh, I mean, what you would expect but yes yeah. the data is absolutely backing that up and we haven't had a single family dropout of the two hundred and seventy families that have been being supported over um over lockdown um we haven't had a single family dropout that mm-hmm. that I mean I I've known about f- for family for years yeah. and it was something that I had actually 
um, got my father to go along and see yourselves and, and, and to speak about it. It's been one of those things when, when I joined the, the Cinnamon family and, and it was like, oh, there you are, brilliant, awesome. So um, it's really interesting that you, that you talk about uh, you, you haven't had dropouts because you, you've created those positive nurturing during relationships, okay? Yeah. Uh, you've, you've built trust. You've, you've built right. a safety space that, that, that's, that's so important. Um, so today's devotion is, is all about um, doing things not for our honor, but for the benefit of others. Right. And we do that with discretion, not with loud noises. And, yeah. um, and in so doing, God seems to do like a double blessing, which sounds a bit weird. And obviously that's weird language, but in normal language, that's, that's really what it is. Um, so how do you do that? And what does that look like as what are the lessons that you've learned? Because the thing that I've noticed with, with your church, and I think it's really interesting, everybody had to go into Zoom, okay? Every, or, or whatever yeah. that they did. Yeah. And, and I did some research and um, with, with a bunch of churches, and um, I would say about 80% of them um, saw ch their churches decline in, in numbers. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and now as they're looking to what do you do next, Again, the same number have no idea what that kind of world looks like. Right. So I'm not, I'm not asking for uh, the answer, but I'm perhaps uh, scoping, looking, exploring, asking questions. What you did as a church, was, which was brilliant, was that you set up a studio. You did it. You, what you said and how you did it was better than just you know, and now we'll press Zoom and, you know, press play and that sort of thing. There was, there was a certain professionalism that people yeah. had a sense of, okay, we're prepared to take you more seriously than just, you know, Adam in his conservatory with a map behind his back, you know, behind him. Well, it was that for the first few weeks. But even then we, we had, we sourced technology that meant that we could stream from um, five homes at a time. Oh, that's so, interesting. Um, so we... We effectively had one person in their home with this software who would have five streams coming into them, of which I was one who might do the teaching. We'd have a host in yeah. someone else, one else's home. We'd have the worship leader in their home. Um, but we'd also visit people in the church in their home. And how are you doing? What's going on? And right. And so we were able to put together something that was quite professional, but also really? helped people feel connected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, that was our initial response. And then as we were able to kind of get back in the building and um, et cetera, then we invested in the online stuff because we hadn't done that um, to that point. Mm. Um, we actually been a bit resistant to that for various reasons, but, um, but then we had to do it. And so we'd invested in the, you know, the equipment to do that and, and tried to up our game and got lots of volunteers and mm. figured it out as we went. But, um, mm. but new what we wanted it to look like um we had a vision for it and and kind of and figured that out um and it helps that we had some you know very tech savvy people in the church that's always helpful and yeah. um but um yeah i think we 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 aimed for high standards on that and then and i think then as well as the church thing you know the sunday thing we um we resourced all our small groups with 
this is how to be online together, this is how to do Zoom together, this is how to connect together. And we mm. and our building entirely changed. So we our food bank kind of went about three or four times the size, took over a much larger part of the building. Mm. We were the blood vaccination center. We were very quickly the flu vaccination center. We we were asked to coordinate all the volunteer response across you know, even though like about three or four different groups doing the volunteer response on different estates, etc. We were asked to be like the central coordinating point of that. And um and obviously our family stuff um increased and we were liaising around um the council response and we were liaising around health response and our homeless support had to adapt because we needed to get people into accommodation but then they all needed sorting and we were and I think because of the relationships we already had with the council and the health we were we were part of those conversations and those strategic conversations my wife who founded Yoga for Family but also now leads all our community engagement um, one of the things that I was really struck by right near the beginning was all our online all our youth work had to go online yeah that everyone had policies that said you don't engage with young people online. Yeah, that's what, everyone, that's what everyone's policy said. And what she did was pull together um, Mind and Young Somerset and all the agencies who engage with young people. Yeah, and said if we're all going to rewrite our policies, why don't we all write rewrite them together huh. and join it? So at least the young people have a consistent. Yes. Um, approach whatever agency they're dealing with and um and and that sort of thinking mm. um i think just like means that you're part of the community and you're working with these agencies on a very collaborative um sense um across the board and and as we came into the pandemic then we just found ourselves with a lot of conversations around a lot of well how do we change this and how do we adapt this and what is this going to look like and how do we deliver this service and um, and where is the pain being felt in our community and how do we get there? Yeah. And yeah. How, how do we support that? Yeah. Um, but um, always, I mean, to go, I guess to go back to the theme of the, we, we, there are a couple of principles um, to go back to the theme of how do you do these things generously and without making much noise, etc. We always want to work in partnership um, yeah. because we think it's a kingdom principle. Yeah. Um, whether that's with the churches or whether that's with other agencies, we always want to do things in partnership. We're never the we're never the whole answer ourselves. Um, we um, and we always work without agenda. So these are not opportunities for us to tell people the gospel. Or love is unconditional. Come on. So um, when we decide that we'll do this, so we have an opportunity to tell them the gospel. We've just made our love conditional. Very, We've very made... good. So, and I think we disempower the gospel when we do that. Um, <laughs> our, our the power of the gospel is unconditional love. And so we love unconditionally. And also, we, where are the gaps? Let's not try and duplicate, replicate. Oh, they're not doing it very well. Or there's a, they get some good money for that. So let's try and do the same. And let's not put ourselves in opposition with people or um, competition with people. Where are the gaps? And because as church, we have less red tape than most agencies. I don't yes. have somebody but me where you can work with homeless, but you can't work with families, or you can, or yeah. that's within our remit. That's not within our remit. As a church, 
community transformation is all within our remit. I mean, that's what we're invited to partner in, the restoration of all things. So, um, so I don't have the same red tape and edges that a lot of different agencies have. Yeah. Um, and I think we don't always play to our strengths in that as a church. So we're able to connect to partners that can't usually find ways to work together. And we can be the, the glue or we can, the other principle, I guess, is make space. Mm. Don't do lots of things, make space within which God can do lots of things. Mm. So how do we, how do we make space for things? And so how do we make space in our building for more? How do we make space in our community and in our conversations for more collaboration or, or for God to spark up new ideas or new innovations? And sometimes we can so focus on delivering a project because that's our project or that's our thing. Yeah, It's not wrong well, but actually I think we can get better results sometimes by making space and seeing what happens in the space. What I find really interesting about you is you are doing everything I expect a very good leader and their church to do in in what they are doing. You're ticking all of the boxes. I think this for me, this is you know, it's amazing, amazing. Where I'm, 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 I'm wanting to just, just, just a thought that's crossed my mind. This is a bit random. Okay, have you seen Rise of the Guardians, the film? I mean, I have. But I can't. I've watched no. a lot of the Guardians yeah. films. I don't remember which one it is, but go on. Because I mean, for me, there's something which I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm fizzing with excitement and joy with everything you've just been sharing and, and what you're doing. And it's, I'm over the moon that you've been able to share this because I think there's a lot of people asking the question: How do we do this? How do you make a church that's thriving? How do we do this as, as functional? I think partnership, as you say, is just sacrosanct, unconditional love. I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> that's so good to hear that. Uh, it's not, I'm not going to join our alpha. It's nothing to do with that. It's just that I love you. God loves you. There you yeah. go. Um, so Rise of the Guardians, there's a moment where um, Jack Frost ha- has been cornered by Father Christmas in Santa's Grotto. Ironically, of course. Oh, my goodness. We're talking about Father Christmas. Um, Merry Christmas to you, by the way. And... Uh, uh, and Father Christmas goes to Jack and says, what is your centre? And he gets a Russian doll and he gets different pic- different uh, caricatures of Father Christmas. And at the very centre, the smallest one is this little doll. And it's this childlike face of wonderment, of joy and wonderment. I'm really interested because you're unusual. Your church is unusual. What makes you do what you do? Why did, when was that moment you thought, hold on, we're not going to do conventional church. We're going to be a church that's focused for the community. Why are we going to do it unconditionally without, should you go on an alpha? Why are we going to do this in a way where we're going to become uh, uh, meeting the needs of the local community, whether it be through because they've got difficult things happening in their family or because it's health or it's working in partnership. Why do you do it? Why? Because everyone's got a story. What is your story? Okay. Well, I mean, where to start on that one? So, I mean, I'm I'm a reluctant church leader. Like church leading was not the thing that I ever really wanted to do. In yeah. fact, it was the it was my okay, God, I'll do anything for you, but don't make me lead a church. Like <laughs> um, that was my thing. So um 
I think, I mean, I mean, where to start with that? I, so in my family, I mean, I grew up in church. My dad was a church leader and, um, and in some ways an outstanding church leader and in some ways a massively dysfunctional church leader. Um, he was very good at building a church. He was very good at preaching. He had international ministry and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And very well known. And, um, but character-wise flawed, profoundly flawed, which for a child growing up, it's very difficult. You see all this on a Sunday and then you see everything else on a Monday yeah. to Saturday. And it yeah. doesn't matter. And, um, and that all came tumbling down um, when I was in my later teens. And, um, and that was a really difficult time for me. And weirdly, my, um, my faith in God was never shaken. But my faith in church, gone. Like, absolutely shot. Yeah. And it was a couple of years after that, um, you know, I mean, I worked in restaurants and I was surrounded by a very diverse community. Um, in Manchester, and who were my family, who were people who accepted that I was a Christian, accepted my faith in God, even though that was, you know, different from their own experience or or life or their even their perception of what Christianity was. And um, but a couple of years after I, or two three years after, I had this moment with God where it's like I went to go to Bible college, and I was like, oh come on, yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> what a ridiculous idea! Like I. I don't like Christians. Like, don't make me go and live with them for you. Like, <laughs> that's a terrible idea. Like, and I, but I went and everyone was there because they wanted to go to ministry or they wanted to, you know, and they had all these ambitions. They're going, why are you here? I went, well, I just want to figure out how much of this is nonsense and how Come much on. of this is actually so true. Like, that's, that's entire. I have no desire to be in ministry or like, I just, I've been taught this whole thing all my life and I, and everything got rocked. And I know that God is real, but I don't know very much else about what is true and what isn't and how much is stuff that I've just learned and adopted and why that, you know, that particular theology or that particular theology. I wanted to go and explore it. Anyway, I came out of that and that was a really formative year for me. And I went back into restaurants and retail and um, all that sort of stuff. It was about 10 years later and God called me into ministry. And again, there was a bit of a struggle for me, but... um, I, but I had this profound belief, and I'd been going to church that time. I had this profound belief that that God was who He said He was, and like, and entirely real, and powerful, and beautiful, and loving, and whatever. But that isn't always what I saw in church. Yeah, and and I didn't feel like it was always what we portrayed. And I, I think quite early on, I realised that the problem was. The narrative, the story you live in, defines your behavior. People say they believe all sorts of stuff. But if you want to know what somebody actually believes, watch how they behave. And some of this comes from my dad, who said all this stuff about what he believed, but his behavior did not match. But actually, we all do that to some extent. How many Christians say that they believe that the first will be last and the last will be first? But... (laughs) Watch how they're behaving and watch how they try to make sure they're closest to the supermarket when they park or they're nearest the queue or they're whatever or whatever. And it's like, you know, I don't think they quite get that. And like, oh, um, it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven 
than it is for a camel to get to the ivory needle. We'll go, amen, amen, amen. But we're all trying to make our kids richer than we are. So we try and make it harder for them. What are we like, really? Is that yeah. I don't think we actually believe that our behavior says one thing, or our words often say another thing. And that comes down to the story that you live in. And that is true of, you know, not just around faith, but around every aspect of our life. What's the story that you live in? And and for me, when I was asked to take on leading the church, which is 13 years ago now, um, we spent two years teaching our values. And basically what we were doing was changing the narrative and saying the story that we live in isn't a gospel of privilege. So Romans 8.28 says, like, God will work all things for good for those who love him. <laughs> but that's a gospel of privilege. Now, at the bottom, in your little footnotes, it will say, alternative translation, God works together with those who love him to bring all good in all things. Now, that's a gospel of participation. Yes. And so changing that narrative from what I refer to as the Titanic gospel, i.e. this was all created perfectly once, very quickly into the story, it went badly wrong, and we're just trying to save the last few people before the whole thing goes down. Mm. That is a Titanic gospel mm. that leaves us all bobbing around in our lifeboats or churches, um, bit protective about who else is in our lifeboat and just waiting to be picked up and evacuated. Like that, we're not very active. We're not very, we're, we're entirely passive actually in that whole thing. And um, whereas this bigger story that I see in scripture is the restoration and reconciliation of all things under Jesus. If all things are going to be restored and renewed, if all things are going to be reconciled in him, we are invited to participate in that story. And that story means that wherever I can work towards reconciliation, whether that be enabling a family to stick together and see it through and build more resilience, and learn how to love each other and speak to each other more kindly or whatever that might be, or whether that be helping someone through their mental health challenges or whether that be introducing somebody to Jesus so they can, that spiritually they can come alive or whether that be challenging systems in our local government or our national government so we create less injustice wherever i can do any of those things yeah. i am i am bringing that reconciliation in partnership with god and so we i think that's where it comes from we 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 i think we tell a bigger story yes i love that how the question i've got is how is it now with your dad and you oh well my dad's yeah i mean my dad um died a few years ago um it it was never a broken relationship um but it was a challenging relationship mm. um i um yeah there was there was a lot of pride there for him yeah and it's the sort of thing you know you become you, be, you know, we we live out our story, but then we become what we live. And mm -hmm. um, it just becomes more and more rational or more harder and harder when we become more and more resistant to love or um, whatever else. And, and that was certainly his story. And also, I think he spent a lot of time, um, you know, this is another interesting truth that I think I learned through him. Like, he spent a lot of time lying and manipulating people, whether that be on a large scale, like in church, or whether that just be in his own relationships, um, telling his own truth and 
um, living that out. But towards the end, he lost his perception of truth. It turned out that actually the person who'd been lying to the most was himself. Yeah. And he was unable to recognize truth or who he was or who he was supposed to be um, more and more towards the end. So it was a very sad journey, a very difficult journey. He died a few years ago um, Mm -hmm. in America, and I went over to see him just before he died. Um, But it's interesting, it's something that I've taken the opportunity through lockdown um, to go and do some work on and go and process a little bit around my childhood. And so what does this mean about me? And as I'm coming, I'm 50 at the end of this week and into a new decade, and you kind of go, okay, so what... um, so who am I and where do I come from and who is it that God's calling me to be and how do I process some of that and how do I understand myself and how do I become more, build more vulnerability into my life, more softness into my heart? How do I do that work? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's something that I've taken the opportunity of lockdown um, to, to explore with um, a coach, mentor. Yeah. Yeah. Really. yeah. That, that was for me, um, when we met as a as a team of advisors pre when you, you know, I wasn't doing your patch. <laughs> um, and we just had a time of pastoral questions. And it was like, how are you doing? Every single one of us, every single one of us said, yeah, things have come to the surface. And we've had mm. to go and get help. Whether mm. it be counseling, whether it be a mentor, whether it be a coach. Yeah. And it was one of those, for me, it was like, Oof, it's just not me, not just me. <laughs> and people who I really admire and respect are also raising their hand and saying, no, no, I'm, I'm a bit broken too. Yeah, and, and we all are. And, but, and the thing is that that's what turbulence does. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I know across the church, across this country, so many people in so many churches have been sensing that God is up to something and there's going to be a move of God and God is, you know, we need to be preparing for something. And, oh. We were coming into a time that we'd never seen anything like before, all this sort of stuff, and we didn't know what it looked like. And yeah. All through. And we've been praying that stuff in. And um, and I don't think we've seen we haven't seen it in its forms yet by any stretch of imagination. No, absolutely. One more. Um, but any anything like that um, brings turbulence. Yeah. What and a stirring of the waters and a, you know. Yeah. And what turbulence does is drag stuff up yes. from the bottom. It brings stuff to the surface. It brings stuff to light. And I think, I sometimes think we, I sometimes think in the church, we have an idea about revival or a move of God that we get to be um, very excited observers of it rather than painful participants of it. And, yeah. um, and it's again, revival is not a passive Thing that just proves that we were right all the time. Yeah. It, it's a painful process. You yes. know, revival starts with us. It starts in us and flows yeah. through us. And yeah. um, transformation is not just sweetness and light and joy and happiness. Transformation is deep, hard work of stuff that has been rooted in us. And we, maybe we didn't even see, maybe we didn't realize, maybe we, we thought we'd dealt with. And then there it comes like, like yeah. oh my goodness yeah i didn't know that was gonna be that um but it's been uh you know and i, and I you're right I'm, I'm i'm seeing that and hearing that everywhere and i just think even just the turbulence of 
pandemic stirs stuff up in us. You know, we find ourselves reacting to things. We kind of go, "Wow, where did that reaction come from?" Yeah, I was in a, um, I was in a store the other day, and I went to the front. I, w- I went to the queue, and there was one woman in the queue, and then me. And there was one cashier on so there was one person, and that person finished, and then the woman in front of me went to the cashier, and then there's just me. And this woman goes and puts her trousers on the counter and then goes, why have you not got more cashiers on? So you said that? Like, no, this, this woman. Oh, okay, okay. Why have you not got more cashiers on? And the cashier's like, well, we're, we're not that busy. Like, we're, What about her over there? Why can't she be serving? Yeah. She's like, well, she's talking to a customer. She's helping. Yeah, but she should be here. She should be serving. I've had to wait. And this woman lost it and even ended up kind of going, this is why this, your company is going out of business and you're all going to lose jobs. What? And then paid for her stuff and walked off. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I'm the queue. Like, there isn't a queue. But, you know, I chatted to people in retail and I kind of go, oh, my goodness, it's painful. Like, people are not kind. People no. are not nice. And, you know, and you see people... And acting out road rage on the road, but innocuous things. And I think people are holding so many big things that the stress and anxieties within us kind of leaks out in the most weird places. Like, mm. you know, you can be fine and you're dealing with your parents being ill or your children not being able to go to school and all the difficult and the, all the fractions and all the different things and you're coping with it all and you walk in a supermarket, there's no cheese and you fall apart. And it's like, it was the cheese that did it. And it wasn't the cheese that did it. It was like, yeah. it was, it's everything else. And like, or you see a, or you walk and you see a sunset or you see some birds flying in the sky and you just start crying. You go, my goodness, where did those tears come from? Like, what yes. was, why am I crying? at some, like, yeah. something yeah. I see every day sort of thing. It's like, yeah. because our, because our souls are hurting. Yes. And, and, we need to pay attention to our emotions and to our souls. And, um, and that is part of, I think it's, it's part of what everyone's going through. And we need to have so much grace for each other. Saturdays. You, know, you don't know what anyone's going through. Well, actually, no. now we did. We know what everyone's going through. Like, yeah. to some degree, we're all going through this nightmare. Um, but then you're right. I mean, but on top of that, you don't actually know exactly what they're going through. And they might have lost three people in the last month. Like, we just don't know. We no. have to have so much with each other. Well, the trauma that, that that I think we people have got both with, you know, whether they 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 are infected or they are infectious, or mm. the security of their jobs, and then the impact of that has in their own personal well being and how they are in their marriage. I mean, I was, was going to say that Saturdays for me, Saturday mornings are, if I'm if I'm going to have a bad day, it's Saturday morning, because I've had right. the whole of the week where yeah. I've just been in the flow, crushing it. And then Friday night, I just relax. And Saturday, all of the dross that I picked up just, and I, I know it happens. And it's one of those things where I have to almost retell my story uh, yeah. in a way so that I'm, I'm, I'm all about, res, res, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a language of restorative justice which I think is very helpful. So Deborah and Rock, they do that. Um, yeah. But I think there's a, a habit that we we as individuals can learn in our families, in our relationships with our communities, et cetera. 
something that my wife does quite a lot um, now. She's she's on a course. She's she'll get qualified eventually. It's called Deep Talk, which oh, it's called it Deep Talk, um, and uh, she they basically it's a facilitated int- um, invitation for people to join in a story. So so the the storyteller has a has a, a mound of sand and then tells a story and then puts different characters in, et cetera, and then invites the audience to say what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it, and retell it. And suddenly, what people say and what they really meant, it was like, oh, I hadn't seen it from that point of view. You, I, I remember when we were in Glasgow and we had when we were as a um, as a bunch of advisors, and we I think we sat opposite each other, didn't we, in that lovely uh, restaurant? And you, Mike alluded to the fact that you love films and that you you get you do get um to see films a bit early or you get to see random films yeah and story stories films are stories aren't they right Uh, and uh, nomad land i loved that what a film what a film what what films recent or of past speaking to you it could be toy story for all i care but what's speaking to you that keep speaking into you because the bible's just a bunch of stories isn't it yeah yeah no it absolutely is and i mean you know story i mean i talked before about changing the narrative and what the story we live in is the story we live out and um story is one of our values as a church yeah. um, because it grounds us and it roots us we're part of something bigger than ourselves um yeah. it, decentralizes us which also relates to the um devotional um thing the whole thing about giving when we when we make noise about what we're doing we centralize ourselves again we make it about us and what jesus is saying decentralize yourself and what story does is it can decentralize us um and and i i mean yes i mean there are so there are so many films um but Interestingly, the thing that always gets me in a film is hope. And, and it's when hope is a glimmer. Yes. Like when, when somebody who's lived this really tough life. So um, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I don't know I've if heard it's that. amazing. I haven't seen it. It is incredible. Um, it's such a good film. But it moves me because there is this... There is this character in it who has just grown up in a society like he's a victim of his environment like that. You know, he's quite racist. He's quite power controlled. He's quite unpleasant and whatever. And, and, and then just towards the end, he does this act of kindness and love that costs him a huge amount. And it's beautiful. Like that. Um, when I see hope breaking into a story, like it, it does something in me. Um, when I see somebody, you know, tell a story of a, of a family that we support and um, or early on in our family's program and really, you know, family going through all sorts of hardship and difficulty and challenge and all the things you can imagine and then probably some more. And, but there was one day and they called up the team and just said, I need, it's, it's my link work and I need, I need to come around. I'm like, oh, not in today. She goes, well, can somebody come around? I need somebody to come around now. Like, can somebody come as soon as they can? So somebody went around 
And um, when they got there, she just went, I just, I was at the shop and they were selling all these multi-packs of crisps, like massively reduced because you need to get rid of them. So they're like 50p instead of three pounds, like oh. 24. Like, so I bought them all um, and I want to give them to the food bank. And it was the first time that this woman had thought, had seeming to us, had a moment where she thought beyond herself and her own crisis and her own needs. Wow. And you just go, oh my goodness, like we're making, we're having an impact. Like, well, I think it was like 14 months in or something, we're going, oh, we're getting somewhere. Like, because she's, she gets it. Like, she's, she's looked beyond herself. And and I'm not able to look beyond yourself for very good reasons. There's no criticism in that. That that was the crisis and the, the etc. That she had been living in for many years. But just this moment of beauty, where her urgency was that she wanted to give something, and and it was a profound moment. We kind of go, wow, like she's turned a corner. Like this is this is a moment of transformation, and um, things like that. They, they don't have to be big grand gestures. They don't have to be in front. Often it's the small hints in a movie or in a story. It's the, it's the, it's that moment where someone who's had it, who has every reason not to have hope manages to find hope or discover who they might be or step into or have the courage to break the cycle for the first time. Mm. that stuff um, floors me every time I love that uh, that's yeah as I've got older I get, I've become more and more emotional I think which yeah, probably me too. it's funny isn't it you see things and we just drawn and we just have to have a few our eyes you know get wet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but what you, you're sharing really is as we as we live it out as we model it as goodness and kindness becomes part of our normal story, part of a, a new narrative, people can see it and taste it and want to be part of that same story. Yeah, absolutely. It's contagious. Transformation starts with us. Like yeah. it's contagious. That's that's the that's the gospel. You know, we um, we bring the kingdom of God in one act of love at a time. Yeah. Like, well, there are no grand gestures. You know, I remember, I mean, it must be like years ago now. I mean, it must be like, must be 15 years ago or something. I remember I was given this passage to speak on, and it was the the guy who touches the Ark of the Covenant and drops dead. Oh, yeah. And you're just like, oh, man, thanks. That's a nice passage. Like, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> like, anyway, I mean, I, I dived into it. But where I got to was, you know, the interesting thing for me was they were bringing the Ark of Covenant in on this new cart. Yeah. And, um, and they weren't supposed to bring it on a cart. They were supposed to carry it on the poles, like they were supposed to carry it themselves. And um, But they were bringing it on this new cart. And I was just like, man, how many times are we looking for the new cart to bring in the kingdom of God, the new vehicle, the new thing that God's going to do, or the new thing that, the, the, you know, well, Alpha Course is a new car, that's going to be amazing. And, and all these things are amazing, but actually, we are asked to bring the kingdom of God in ourselves, one act of love at a time. And if between us as a church, we can live out a million acts of love a day, then 
then we see the transformation spark around us. Like, but it's one act of love at a time. It's done in the small and in the shadows and in the margins and on the edges. And like, it's not these big grand new carts and gestures and whatever. It's the small and the and the faithful and the persistent and the walking alongside and the journey and the that's where the kingdom of God is brought in. And yeah. you know, how many people? Yeah, you know, if you were to everyone like, well. Tell me about your conversion story. Very few people have a eureka moment. Most people, it's they can track a journey over time. Yeah. How not many of us have pulls, you know, like yeah, it's really rare. It's incredibly rare. Like most people, it's a journey over time, and that it's that long. You know, I think Eugene Peterson does talks about um, a long walk of obedience in the same direction um like this is um that that's the that's the journey um in this for me and and when we talk about generosity and giving them you know it's we we think about the thing that stands out for me about that is again we we have this um tendency to make it about us. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about in this story. Like, don't make a big noise about it. Don't yeah. like, you know, worry about it. So when you give, you know, do it quietly. Because there is this instinct within us to, to make it about us, to mm. feed something in us. Um, it feeds our ego and our false self and our, or I'm better than, or I'm whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and... And actually, when we give, you know, I, I have this thing that says giving is the antidote to not enough. That's like, right. Yeah. We live in this not environment enough. of not enough. We are told repeatedly that you don't have enough. We are told, you know, when when God brings the Israelites out of Egypt, he he saves them geographically, but then he needs to save them spiritually, socially, culturally. Because they are ingrained, Egypt is ingrained in them. Yeah. Like this culture of more bricks with less straw, like not enough, harder work. Like, and so when we look at the Ten Commandments, we need to understand it in that context. Like the Sabbath, these guys haven't had a day off their entire lives. And now God's going, take a day, like, be human, like, rest a little. And we make it this big. You know, by the time you get to the New Testament, it's this big religious thing. Oh, you did this on the Sabbath, so you need to be killed. And it's like, <laughs> wasn't Jesus going, no, I made this for you, not you for like that you've missed the point entirely. Like <laughs> the law was always about liberation. Mm. And what God is doing in the law is liberating them from Egypt and the Egypt that is in them. But we still carry this Egypt in us and that wants to make it about us, that that, that lives in this culture of not enough. And when God, so when he brings them out of Egypt, he talks to them about giving. Mm. And he said, I want you to do like, three ways. I want you to give as a habit. Yeah. Tithe, give 10%, make it a habit. Give us a habit. Um, and then he said, but I also want you to give as an instinct, give your first fruits. As soon as you receive anything or harvest anything, let your first thing that you do be to give. So give us an instinct and give us a habit. But then the genius, he says, and consider the poor. In a world that tells us to always look at those who've got a bit more than us, he says, do a 180. Yes. And look at the people who've got less than you. 
and yes. you will find gratitude and you will become more generous like consider the poor and give to the poor and it it liberates us whenever we feel like we don't have enough and the world is forever telling us we don't have enough whenever we feel like we don't have enough the antidote is to give it's think, liberating uh, for, for me this is this is uh, i'm i'm dancing in, in in my heart of like <laughs> i think we probably have to do another podcast <laughs> <laughs> you, you have so much amazing things to share. I mean, the one thing I'm, I'm thinking about is for those who don't do, join in with your for family and those who, who don't get involved in your other, you know, the formal projects within, uh, you know, Yokeville Community Church and work as a normal job. And, you know, they work in an office or a surgery or a shop or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what is their story and how they see themselves and do they know that they themselves are actually ministers ministering yeah. uh, right. in their point of influence, which general, you know, a, a random act of kindness is a cup of tea for everybody, or, or right. it's just sending a, a really encouraging couple of sentences say, I really appreciate what you're doing to one of their colleagues, etc. It's really easy, I think, for people in our church to go, oh, yeah, well, it's one of our vision statements is that we want to turn the tide of family breakdown, or we've just changed it to a relational breakdown. And then, um, it's really easy for people in our church to go, oh, yeah, well, we do that because we do your family. Mm. But actually, in our, we talk about our 365 because we have mission statement is three words. Our values are six and our vision statements are five. So we have 365. So we go, this everyone, everywhere, every day. This is how we live this out, 365. Mm. And so, yes, we because you're part of a church that does your family, like, yeah, we're turning the tide of family breakdown. But also, when you're at work, and the person across you is struggling in their marriage. Yeah. They're not a parent, and they don't know what to do with their 13-year-old, or yeah. whatever it might be. Be the person who sits and listens, and shows empathy, and loves them, and encourages them, and gives them the, the strength to go back and try again. Like, that is just as much turning the tide of relational breakdown as volunteering or working with your family. Mm -hmm. Like, we're all doing it. We all are helping your neighbours, building those, making sure that wherever you are, we bring peace. And that's turning the tide of family breakdown. That's what we do. Like, yeah. That's how we do it. And um, so, yeah, it's and, and what we've seen through lockdown is a dispersal of the church. Yes. We've been dispersed, like, into our communities and into our workplaces and into our neighborhoods and our streets and our families and our you know the and it's important that we get back to gathering again but I, what we mustn't do is lose the beauty of the dispersal that we've encountered and those relationships that we've been able to form and those contexts we've been able to form and i'm just as excited about a family in my church who will go well we're going to invite our neighbors around on a sunday to watch church together in our front room as as, a, as turning up the church in our building mm. Mm. We're dispersed. Out loving, I'm going to spend the time eat, eating dinner with my neighbours or, or chatting to them or encouraging them or whatever. Great. That's it. And, That's it, it. and it's, it's being vessels of shalom. It, you know, it's being vessels of bringing goodness, wholeness and, and, and kindness yeah. and rest and, and, and that. I don't know, it's been amazing. Really, really beautiful. I, I think 
weirdly enough, as, as I will get to rehear this and others will hear this, and you ask that question, what kind of world we want to go into, I think you've given a couple of keys. I think you've, there's a number of answers that you've, you've given, given me, you've given us, and which, which are, are really beautiful, but not just beautiful, downright useful. Downright useful. Really good. Look, I know right. you've, um, you've read some books. Um, I know that you are all on social media. How can people find out more about you? Um, well, yeah, you can look at um, our website, church website, www.yeovil.cc. So it's a very simple website, yeovil.cc. Um, my book is called Unknown, What If God's Not Like That? It's on Amazon, um, so you can look that up, that covers a little bit of some of the stuff that I've been talking about, particularly the, the law stuff, law being about liberation. Yeah. Um, I can do a bit of a rewrite or a rethink of how we understand the Ten Commandments. Um, what is it if, if they're not rules and to condemn us by? If they're acts of liberation, then what do we learn about them today and how they transform us today? Wow. Um, so um, what if God is a God who just wants to be known? Mm. Um, and so that that's on Amazon. Um, you can hold that there. Um, and if you, yeah, if you go on our website, it's it's all on there. Like what we do as church, um, and you can listen to our sermons or what yeah. all that sort of stuff. So, that's yeah, brilliant. brilliant. Well, Adam Dyer, thank you very much for being uh, one of my guests on my podcast. Which. You know, it's season four, season for a purpose. You've shown us what that purpose is. Uh, and that's just, come on, really good. Right. Plus, Thank you. It's been Love brilliant. Well, I just want to say thank you for joining us today on this podcast. And uh, for any references that were made throughout, be it groups or books or whatever, um, do come and visit us on seasoned4.life and there we'll also have other details about all the other podcasts that we have done and will be doing also. Take care and we'll catch up soon.